Do you go through this daily experience where you get so excited to check the mail and then you daily get so disappointed that there's nothing good in there ever? Do you ever do this? I don't know what happened in collective humanity for us to have such anticipation and expectancy and excitement to be disappointed almost daily when it comes to checking the mail. You get bills, you get your lazy boy advertisements and your Costco thing, and then you get all the mail from the people that lived at your house years before. It's like, I, you know, like the subscriptions, not the actual mail. And you're like, what's going on? We have an American Girl catalog at home, and I'm like, I don't want Daisy to see this. She's only one. She's not ready for this. Because she's one. Those are expensive. There is... The one reason we look forward to mail is because we've all received personal cards in the mail. That is what has created this excitement and that daily expectation and, and, and energy that we feel and that we're willing to wade through that daily disappointment because every now and again, there's a card. Your name's written on it. Like, ooh, sometimes there's a return address and you get excited because you know the person. Sometimes they leave it blank and it's like a mystery. It's like, what is this? What awaits inside? Anytime we get a letter or card, it fills us up because it reveals an intentional thoughtfulness on that other person. This morning I received a card, Father's Day. This is from Miles. This says, this is Dad. There I am. I have a heart. He drew a heart on it. And a big smile. And no hair. Accurate. And then FM is how he writes from Miles. Two, he spells it T-U, Dad. This is all on his own. I love Dad. Four exclamation points and a heart. Miles Quincy is five and a half years old, and this fills me with complete joy. He wrote this on his own accord. He woke up delighted to give me this gift. And the gift of a card is usually a person who writes it knows it will bless the other person, but when you receive it, you understand the blessing. That They'll never understand what that did for you. He also drew me a robot. That's a good robot. Just look at that. All right. Is that good? Right? He's really into drawing right now. In fact, I think he spent more time drawing the robot than me, but that's okay. What else? What else do letters do? This is my letter of encouragement. I have in here, over the past couple years, anytime one of you have written me a kind email, sent me a nice letter, any kind of encouragement, I have this folder, and I read it, and I cherish it, I praise God for you, and I put it in here. And then I return to this on those bad days, because we have those. This is a lifeline that y'all have given me through some of the hardest moments of ministry. And so I honor and thank you for that. You see, there is nothing like the power of a letter. And we've been in this series called Keeping Up with the Johnses, as we've been exploring these, these historic documents that are present in God's true word. 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And today, it's our delight to finish the series up as we dive into 3 John. John was a letter writer back in his day. And he wrote this. We know this is John the Apostle John. And uh, he wrote this one 
And it's a little bit more personal than the other two. And so I'm excited for us to read it. We're going to read it in its entirety and then see what it has for us. So let's dive into 3 John. It's like the third to last book of the Bible. It's 3 John, Jude, Revelation. So just go to the end and turn back a little. You'll find it. And we're going to read it in its entirety. Hear the word of the Lord as found in 3 John. This letter is from John, the elder. I'm writing to Gaius, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you're as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Some of the traveling teachers recently returned and they made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness, that you are living, in, excuse me, and that you are living according to the truth. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. Dear friend, you are being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through. Even though they're strangers to you, they have told the church here of your loving friendship. Now please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God, for they're traveling for the Lord, and they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephes, who loves to be the leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. When I come, I will report some of the things he is doing and the evil accusations he's making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do help, he puts them out of the church. Now, dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children. Those who do evil prove that they do not know God. Everyone speaks highly of Demetrius, as does the truth itself. We ourselves can say the same for him, and, you know, we speak the truth. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink, for I hope to see you soon, and then we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. Your friends here send their greetings. Please give my personal greetings to each of your friends there. Sincerely, John the Apostle. (laughs) Doesn't that read like a letter? I mean, you can sense the personal nature of that. And, and, and as we dive in, we start to see there's a lot, a lot of cool stuff in there for us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So the, what is the purpose of this letter? Well, he's writing to Gaius. He's thanking him for his hospitality. He's affirming him of his gifts and encouraging him in his Christian lifestyle and faith to keep walking the good walk and don't be discouraged or pulled away from bad influences, but keep the course. I just love, too, that you can sense that John knows Gaius, right? I mean, he starts off, I'm ready to get my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you. I mean, any of you have written letters that are like that, and we see that personal nature here. If you were to receive a letter of encouragement for your lifestyle, your faithful lifestyle, what would it be about? For Gaius, the letter he received 
was all about his hospitality. And we learn a lot about this guy, Gaius, in a very short amount of time. We learn that Gaius is John's dear friend, whom he loves in the truth. That's verse 1. Verse 2, we see he is strong in spirit. In verse 3, that he is deeply faithful. Again, in verse 3, that he lives according to the truth. Verse 5, that he loves his, the strangers as his friends. And verse 6, he pleases a God with his hospitality for others. It's all about hospitality. That was Gaius's reputation, that he lived into so fully being a hospitable, loving person that he was known for it. He's Gaius the Hospitable. And we know that hospitality, anytime you offer hospitality to others, it costs time, it costs energy, it costs money. It's a sacrifice of love. How we treat others reflect our true values and shows what's important to us. And Gaius did that in his acts of hospitality. He cared for strangers as though they were friends. That's what he was known for. What do you long to be known for? Gaius was known for his hospitality. What do you long to be known for? And a supporting question, is that found in God? Does it honor God what you long to be known for? I'm guessing it does because our hopes of what we're known for are the positive things, right? How the things we're trying to be, the person we're trying to live into to honor God— it reminds me of what Paul wrote to Timothy, his uh, dear friend of Timothy in a letter that we see in 2 Timothy when Paul writes, For this reason, Timothy, I remind you, fan into flames the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Well, Paul's reminding him, what he's reminding us, that God has, has crafted each of us with a certain gifting. He has given us all a certain giftedness. And he's encouraging Timothy and us to fan that into flame. To not deny the gifts God has given us, but to press in. So how has God crafted you? Gaius, he crafted him with a heart of welcoming others, of hospitality. And maybe you share that. You love to be hospitable and to invite people into your home when there's not a pandemic and to shower them with love and care and make them feel right at home. Or maybe you're one of these guys that's it's all about acts of service. You hear if someone's lawn being, need to be mowed, you are there. You are pushing your mower all the way down the block. Or you are just helping people out time and time again. Maybe you're an encourager and you see someone who's either down or something that you see a gift and a good thing in them and you want to speak that truth into them and say, hey, I want to encourage you today. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're a great cook and you just love sharing food with others. It's one of my dad's greatest gifts of how God crafted him. I'm thinking of today for Father's Day as we're prepping to eat some steaks tonight. I'm excited because he never let us go hungry. He always sought to feed us and feed us well. Maybe you are a gifted crafter or knitter. Maybe you uh, enjoy history and, and sharing these facts of the past. Maybe you're an incredible listener and you love to sit with people and hear their story and make them feel heard and loved. How has God crafted you? Each of you are gifted. God doesn't make duds, <laughs> okay? 
He doesn't. He makes masterpieces, and that's who you are, and that's what he sees when he sees you. So fan into flame these gifts as you seek to live into your calling to love God and others through your God-given giftedness. It's been said that, oh, after some time has passed, after we pass, after we die, 10, 15, 20 years after we die, that who we are, our reputation could be boiled down into a single word. It's been said that, say, 10, 15 years after you pass, those who know you and love you, they're together for like a family gathering, sitting around the table and they're feasting and you've been long gone. And they'll tell some story and maybe you had a role in it. And you can almost see it play out where they'll just sit back and go, oh yeah, Robert, he was so caring. Or Nancy, oh man, she was a lover, wasn't she? Whatever your name is, that person was blank. A one-word reputation, a one-word legacy. What do you think your one-word reputation would be? It's a little morbid to think about, but it's curious to think, who has God made you, and how will people remember you based on how you're living your life? My encouragement is to fan into flame your God-given gifts. And I trust something will come out of that with a reputation. Now, there are four men present in this letter, and each of those four men, they have a reputation. The first we're talking about is Gaius, of course. Gaius, the blank, hospitable, right? That's his one-word reputation. Gaius, the hospitable, and we see he's all about that. Verses 1 through 8, the, over half of it is all about that. It's about Gaius who follows Christ and loves others. So much so that John felt compelled to write this, that the church fathers and get the Spirit working through them said, you know what, we need to keep this historical document and this record for all Christians and all people who are curious and interested in learning the faith to read for years to come. And because of that, we ponder over it. We're blessed by it. We're encouraged by this letter and we're challenged to be like Gaius. The second person isn't as encouraging and that's Diotrephes. Great name, not such a good reputation. Diotrephes, the selfish. Ooh, that's a one word uh, reputation I don't think any of us are probably, you know, going for. It says a lot about Diotrephes here, and uh, what it's talking about is Diotrephes, he's the leader of the church, but he might talk the talk, but he does not walk the walk. And if you've been following along through this journey, you know John's got a big problem with a lot of chatter and no action. He's all about our faith representing our belief. And so is Jesus, and so should we all believe that as well. You see, he was a self-proclaimed church leader, and yet he does not reflect God's values. He has this lifestyle where he's kind of proving he doesn't really know God. He may claim he knows God, but he's not living in that way. He only cares about himself, his own pride, his own power. And he's not in it for the right reasons. You see, in that time, in the early Christian church, it's much like when Jesus sent his followers out, uh, in twos, and you go and you are treated hospitably by people like Gaius, and they are there to, to preach the gospel and to spread the good news. 
Diotrephes was not willing to welcome these people in. He sent them away. He didn't receive their truth. He didn't receive what they had to say. He says, I got my own thing going here and I will not be bothered by you because I'm the leader. You can see that he has an overinflated sense of pride in his own power. Now, he's not in it for the right reasons. He's refusing this help. He's captive to the sin of pride and slander and jealousy. And I don't know about you, but there's this chilling uh, verse or words of Jesus Christ that this reminds me of. And it's found in Matthew 7. And Jesus says this, Many will say to me on that day, that's judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus was talking to false prophets. He was talking to those like Diotrephes who talk the talk, but do not walk the walk. Our fruit reveals our faith. And if there's no fruit, if our life never changes as a response to God's gift to us, if we're only Christian by name, but, but, but not how we live our lives, it's possible Jesus would say to us, I never knew you. I longed for a relationship. I went to the cross for you, but you proclaim me as Lord, but you never lived like it. And that is a stark warning for all of us to not just talk the talk, but to walk the walk. John said he was going to say more about Diotrephes, and I have a feeling that John likely has written to Diotrephes probably a couple times, and I'm guessing it reads a lot different than this letter. I bet he had a lot of exclamation points, not the happy ones, but the mean ones. Kylie tells me the way to tell the difference is put a smiley face after an exclamation point. So you know it's excited exclamation, not mean exclamation. I use a lot of exclamation points. They're happy ones, I promise. Don't be like Diotrephes. So seeing this warning, it causes us to consider, does our lifestyle prove we know God? We're not talking about perfection. We know we can't be perfect, but it's this lifestyle, it's this journey. Is our lifestyle consistent with what we believe? Does our lifestyle prove we know God? Monday through Sunday, the whole week, morning, noon, and night. A good way to gauge it is what would your family say? What would your friends say? And those other friends say? And your coworkers say? Your neighbors say, your strangers you encounter say, and your online followers say, does your lifestyle prove you know God? Is your faith revealed in every single area of your life? You know, I used to be kind of like uh, afraid of being one of those like Jesus freak people, right? Or like everywhere I go, people are like, he's a Jesus freak. He's really into God. I used to be afraid of that because it was self-conscious, you know, kid. And I mean, now I'm a pastor and the human side of me is still a little afraid of that. I mean, every time I get my hair cut, when they say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. And then they don't want to say anything for the remainder of the haircut. It's like, all right, 
thought we had a good thing going here. Uh, in fact, I've already prepared because I'm just so sick of getting my hair cut and conversation being shut down. I'm already prepared and said, I'm going to tell you what I am, can, but can you promise not to be weird? Just remember I'm a human like you. I'm a pastor. Okay. Maybe that will make it more weird. I report back. <laughs> this life matters so little compared to our everlasting life. Who cares? People know we love Jesus. In fact, praise God if they know we follow Jesus. May every single area of our lives and how we live our life honor and glorify and point to God. So we think about this one word reputation. Like Diotrephes, we can all think of those that we look back on not so fondly. Their one word would not be a pleasant word, maybe a word we can't even utter in church. None of us, though, long to be known for our shortcomings. Not a one. So Diotrephes provides a very helpful self-check to evaluate where our lifestyle may not reveal our faith and then correct accordingly. And then there's a third one, Demetrius. He is like, just mentioned there, and I, the first time I read this, I think I thought Demetrius was Diotrephes. I was very confused, but no, two different dudes. And we have Demetrius, the truth follower. That's hyphenated, so it counts as one word, truth follower. Demetrius, the truth follower. He's a follower of the truth. Not just a believer of the truth, but a follower of the truth. Now, language matters. Following means you're living it out. You're following. You don't just have the knowledge, but you're following what he knows to be true. He's putting it into practice. And unlike Diotrephes, who is a Christian leader in title only, Demetrius, through John's words, was a godly example to other believers. Consider this. We know nothing else about Demetrius other than this. It's likely Gaius and John, they both knew uh, Demetrius. Otherwise, John would have given more background. But John felt compelled in this very short letter, he had one page of papyrus he was trying to fit this on, right? To brag on Demetrius to Gaius. He has a reputation. And John felt compelled to share that. He's mentioned in one verse of the entire Bible and his reputation as a faithful and godly example to others will live on forever. That's the impact he had. Demetrius may never have known that John wrote this to Gaius. He may never have known that. He may have no clue. He may have had no idea. But people take notice how we live our lives. And people talk to others about how we live our lives. We can say don't gossip, but we all gossip. We try not to. We work on it. It's hard for us, but people talk. But our fruitful following will encourage others in their faith. And we may never know it. We want to be like Demetrius. To walk the walk. And who cares who knows it? In fact, let everyone see our faithful living because we're about pleasing God alone. There's a fourth person and it is the author of this letter. That is John. John is often referred to as the disciple of love. 
You see this throughout his gospel. We see it throughout these epistles. You even see it in Revelation. He lives out this godly love and he points others to it. He calls people to that love that's found in God. He reminds us over and over that God is love. And our love of Christ, Christ's love for the church, and our love for each other, he continuously calls us back to. That's his, repu- that's his uh, reputation, is the disciple of love. But he has another dis- uh, uh, reputation. It's found in the Gospels. Him and his brother were called the Sons of Thunder. <clears throat> Such a good name. I don't know if you guys are sleeping, but I'm excited about that. Son of Thunder. He was called that because of his zeal, his earnestness, his boldness, and his excitement to just get after it. And we see that all throughout the gospel, the way he's diving in the water, he's running to the tomb, all this stuff. And we also know it persisted throughout John's life. It's evident in these letters. He has not stopped. His writing is bold and authoritative. He is deeply committed to the truth. He doesn't pull his punches. In a lot of ways, it's John. He's the disciple of love. He's love and thunder. Ironic side note, uh, in February next year, the next Thor movie's coming out, and they call it Thor, Love and Thunder, which cracks me up because I think of John when I hear love and thunder. So just imagine Thor as John, okay? There you go. Now when you're watching Thor, you'll be like, I remember that message. I just helped you out next February. You're welcome. Four men, all with a reputation. All that can be boiled down to one word or close to it. What's your blank? We have Gaius the blank, hospitable. Diotrephes the selfish. Demetrius the truth follower. John the disciple of love. Think of other examples. There's Alexander the... Solomon, the Samwise, the brave. Samwise, the brave. Lord of the Rings. I didn't expect you to get it. I'm sorry. I promise a two-month break from Lord of the Rings references. What's your blank? Why? I like that. What's your blank? Who has God made you to be? And how you doing at fanning that into flame? Fanning and flame your God-given gifts. Well, that's our challenge for this week. Our personal challenge is to define your blank and press into that reality today. Now, some of you may not really know what that is, what your reputation might be. You might not fully understand how God has crafted you, but you know what? I bet those who know you and love you do. So my encouragement is to ask them, to seek their input and their wisdom. Just this past week, um, a friend of mine who, who knows me pretty well said something about me uh, and it took me off guard because I never saw myself in that way. It was deeply encouraging. It was really insightful. And, and I talked to this person and said, I've never seen myself that way, but is that how you perceive me? She said, yes, that's who you are. I said, wow, I guess I need to do some work to believe that truth. And so I've been pressing into that. And so I wonder what you don't even know about yourself and who you are. My encouragement is to ask someone near you. And as we're diving in this challenge, imagine someone like John is writing you a letter detailing your blank. What would it be? 
if it's a little hard to acknowledge, meaning maybe there's a little work to do, then the question is, who do you long to be? And press in. Ask the Spirit to guide you into that reality for what God has in store for you. And fan those gifts he has given you into flame. Now, in the spirit of these three letters, to wrap up this series, we also have a church-wide challenge. Yeah, yeah, I like challenges. And that's this, to write a letter of encouragement and send it out today, or get it ready to go out tomorrow, no mail on Sunday. Write a letter of encouragement and send it out. I've provided letters for you back there, cards back there for you. Please take them. We even have stamps available. If you need a stamp, come see me. I got stamps for you. I will. I know where Allison keeps them. She, <laughs> so we have stamps. And I will help you out. Let's show hospitality by blessing others who serve the Lord and who bless you. You all know the power of receiving those. I know a lot of you send those. Let's together send them out. Imagine a hundred or so cards sounding out from this place and the blessing those will have when people receive those and beyond because those words stick with us. Just as this letter sticks with us and we are encouraged, you can bless and encourage someone tenfold. So who is your Gaius? Who's that, whose faithfulness or presence in your life are you grateful for and you haven't told lately? Imagine this blessing of all these cards going out. And if you're at home, that's not an excuse. Grab any piece of paper and any envelope and you send it out to. If you need a stamp, I don't know how to mail you a stamp. Figure it out. Send it out. Because that's the gospel. That's the kingdom. God's love in action are God's love being sent from this place to bless others and then to expand and expand and expand and it spreads. So may we, like John, be known for our deep love. Our deep love of God, our deep love for his children, and our deep encouragement of others in their journeys of faith. May God be honored and praised through our acts of service as we seek him. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in a small letter like 3 John, that there are eternal truths that point us to you and teach us all about you, God, and what it means to follow you. We thank you for the faithfulness of Gaius and that we can, we can be emboldened in our faith through his acts of faith all those years ago. We thank you for John, for who you made him to be, one that points to love with all earnestness and zeal. God, may we be like that. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us all gifts, that you don't make duds, that you fan that you have provided us with these things to seek you and your kingdom and to push it forward. And God, we ultimately delight the non-ending gift that you have given us life. You have given us freedom. You give us grace over and over and over again. It is truly amazing that you have freed us from the chains and bondage of sin and that you call us forward as your people to love and serve you. We praise you, God. We honor you. We love you, God. May you send us here with your encouragement today to spread and share that love everywhere we go. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.